This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. This week we're speaking to Pavel Vucic. He's an independent researcher focused on ISIS and Al-Qaeda. He's going to be talking about ISIS International, so basically the spread of the caliphate of ISIS from Iraq and Syria to the rest of the world, most specifically focused on the cells or wilayats as they call it in Libya, Afghanistan, Nigeria and East Asia. Pavel will be talking about how serious these wilayats are in different countries and explaining how the fall of Raqqa was most certainly not the fall of ISIS as a whole. If you want Popular Front bonus content, including bonus episodes a few times a month, go to patreon.com slash popular front. You know, after Raqqa, everybody, or at least in the rest of the world outside the media, kind of presumed, oh, ISIS is over now, you know, the caliphate is gone. But, you know, as we know, that very much isn't the case. Um, what kind of threat does ISIS pose to the world at this stage? It depends uh, how do we treat the existence of the Islamic State now. If we take it in local way, so let's say uh, Nigeria, Afghanistan, or Indonesia, the Philippines, the threat is there because it is locally located. The threat is uh, there are affiliates, there are branches of the Islamic State that are a per permanent problem to the societies of these countries. But when it comes to the Western countries, I think that the problem right now is significantly diminished mm -hmm. because of uh, the threat of the, uh, the real caliphate in Syria and Iraq that possesses some land control is uh, no more. The most of the land control uh, is lost for the Islamic State. We have some pocket uh, near the Euphrates River that is currently being fought uh, between the Islamic State and the Syrian Democratic Forces, you, you know. Yeah, you're on about uh, Deir Azor. Yes, and uh, American coalition, American-led coalition, international coalition that is fighting the Islamic State there. And the fight with this pocket has been ongoing for a year now, so it's not, it's not that easy to destroy them. There, there is, of course, newly established Vilayat Haran uh, near the Syrian-Israeli border and Jordan, uh, formerly, it was called uh, Jaish Khalid bin Walid by the famous uh, Khalid bin Walid hero from the early Islamic uh, states that uh, fought against the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And it was all about having that land control, the safe land, in order to actually establish connection between Syria, Iraq, and the uh, the networks that are currently in, in the United States or uh, in every country th that is currently located in Europe. So you're saying ISIS has created a new wilayat, which is like a new cell, essentially, inside Syria since they've kind of since Raqqa has been toppled. They are located. Uh, in this pocket, they are currently being renamed. 
uh, into one uh, big vilayat, right? So there are dozens of vilayats in, in so provinces, uh, governments uh, in Syria and Iraq, and these are currently being renamed into one, into vilayat Sham, the province of Sham, Syria, and the province of Iraq. And these are the two main uh, vilayats of the Islamic State Central. Uh, that are now located in these two countries. And it seems like the Islamic State also renames its uh, provinces outside. Uh, for example, it is a big talk today that the Philippines and Indonesia, uh, which are gathered into one East Asia branch is currently being renamed into Vilayat East Asia. So it probably has some kind of uh, administration it lacked before. ISIS are now, it sounds like, trying to regroup, but not inside Syria. They're trying to regroup outside internationally. It is hard to say uh, regroup because their main timeline, their main battles were fought two years ago, or even one year ago, three years ago. Uh, the international coalition uh, that is led by the United States uh, has been operating outside Syria and Iraq, in Libya mainly, and of course in Nigeria. So the international coalition uh, has been uh, battling all the Islamic states Wings, uh, this all the council that has spread all over the world, right? It's not only located uh, in Syria and Iraq. And regrouping, I think we can say about regrouping that is currently happening in Libya after they were um, wiped out, wiped out from their main capital in Ceuta. I I read this as well. I read the outside of the Middle East. ISIS are most strongest in Libya, outside of, you know, after Raqqa has fallen. It has been for some time, but I would argue right now that the most strongest affiliate of the Islamic State is currently located in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Yeah, I'm really keen to talk about that, actually. But right now, um, can you explain what are ISIS doing in Libya? Do they control land? Who are they fighting? Okay, so... At first, uh, this, uh, the Islamic State in Libya was non-existent, okay? In 2013, 2014, uh, a lot of Libyans fought uh, in Syria and Iraq in the Islamic State uh, affiliates that were, current, that were at the time fighting uh, New Aleppo or Raqqa, uh, battling uh, the Syrian regime. And they were mainly gathered in the Katipat al-Batar al-Libya, al-Libi. Uh, it was consisted mainly uh, of hundreds of Libyans. And the Islamic State uh, in 2000, uh, it seems 2013, uh, was trying to implement their new strategy after they split with Al-Qaeda completely, they, they uh, went internationally and the first plan to actually achieve the inter, uh, international dominance 
was to conquer Libya. So they dispatched, they actually dispatched, it was their first and the only invasion from Syria. They dispatched the team uh, led by some folks from Katibat al-Batar al-Libi uh, in order to establish some networks. So they sent they sent ISIS fighters from Syria into Libya? Yes, it was a direct, <laughs> we can call it invasion, because it, uh, it consisted of dozens of fighters, right? But yeah. these were experienced, these were battle-hardened, they knew what, uh, what they were planning, right? And they were, they were tasked with establishing some kind of administration, uh, creating a, a new province that would uh, establish links with Al-Qaeda fighters that were currently fighting at the time and to absorb them uh, to the new province. So they, in 2014, they, uh, they went to the city of Derna, that is now uh, the main battleground between uh, the Islamic fighters and uh, General Haftar forces in the east, uh, and established some kind of network that uh, was able to govern uh, a few, uh, let's say, not blocks, but uh, a few neighbor uh, neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it it was mainly uh, operating uh, in a friendly way between the Islamic State fighters and Al Qaeda. But it was surely established that uh, the Islamic State uh, was not only trying to uh, build some friendly relations with society, they wanted to absolutely govern in a totalitarian way and absorb everything like they did in Syria and Iraq. Yeah. So Al-Qaeda wiped them out uh, from Derna and the Islamic State that knew that something was going on with Al-Qaeda had uh, sent some operatives to the famous city of Benghazi and Ceuta. In a very quick way, Ceuta became their main stronghold, their capital. Even Adnani, uh, Abu Muhammad al-Adnani, uh, the second in command after Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, said that uh, Islamic State in Libya and three provinces there, so Tsunaika, Al-Fezan in the south, and uh, Vilaya Tarabulus in the west, uh, would be the third capital of the Islamic State. It was the only capital uh, of the Islamic State outside Iraq and Syria, so we can see the importance. So that, that became their third capital? Outside, you know, you had Raqqa, uh, Mosul. Raqqa, Mosul, and Ceuta. This was the three cities, uh, mainly included in Islamic State propaganda. And what's what's the current status now? I know ISIS still holds some land in Libya, but I know that, for example, the secular brigades like the Zintan brigades are like fighting them and some others. What are they up to now? For now, uh, the Islamic State uh, controls no land uh, in Libya. Uh, we can say 
they rather uh, influence some territory, mainly influencing uh, the area of Fezan in the south. So mainly the town of uh, Sabrat, uh, which is the main town of the smugglers uh, from uh, Chad, from uh, Nigeria, from all the countries uh, around. Uh, and it is the main hub for uh, Al-Qaeda in Islamic Maghreb. So this is a very important town to actually uh, get some resources, some weapons, uh, some intel uh, about uh, the location of uh, three governments at, uh, today uh, in the West, in the, in the East, uh, led by General Haftar and uh, Toburg, and they are mainly focused on attacking and harassing forces that are currently governing the oil fields in the center of Libya. Right, they're, they're fighting for that right now, right? And General Haftar being essentially a, a militia leader and those guys are fighting for the oil fields right now. They don't want to capture it, but uh, they want to prevent uh, all the parties b uh, before actually making uh, money uh, from uh, oil and uh, from uh, trading with uh, European countries like mainly Italy and France that are uh, the main players right now, from what I can say, especially it Italy and the new government. So, so sorry, hang on, I'm confused. So ISIS are trying to stop the capture of the oil fields so that the oil can stop being sold to Europeans, essentially the infidels. That, and of course, a lot of other tasks, right? Like, like preventing Haftar from actively governing most of the country, preventing uh, the uh, internationally recognized uh, uh, government uh, in Tripoli, uh, GNA, uh, from effectively governing the country uh, in the West. And uh, they are trying to split the East and the West in order to uh, not unite uh, again. Because as we know, uh, the civil war in Libya has been ongoing since four years. Yeah, it, it's one of those conflicts that the West kind of turned up, got rid of Gaddafi and are like, hey, job done. And it's like, no, not at all. It's complete chaos there still. Yes, and as we could hear in the Game of Thrones, uh, chaos is a ladder. And we can surely fit it in how the Islamic State operates uh, all over the world. Chaos is uh, a ladder and they are the masters of the chaos. Uh, and they are the, the main party that uh, can actually uh, get something from, from this chaos. Right, right. With instability they can capitalize on that as ISIS, I guess, wherever they sow that chaos. Yes. Uh, for now, uh, as we could see in uh, recent two videos, especially in from Vilay Barkasom from the East, uh, fight, uh, they are fighting currently 
many about uh, against uh, the General Haftar's forces and uh, Tobruk government. Uh, General Haftar, as we know, runs his militia as he were as it would be some kind of Libyan army, right? He, he basically like Haftar is essentially a warlord or you know a militia commander. But he's running the place as if he's official. He poses as he, as he were some kind of general and the structure was actually an army, which is not an army. This is a network of militias and uh, it doesn't happen to be anything new army. Uh, of, of course, uh, Egyptians and Emiratis are helping him and supporting him in his task, but it is in no way an army and the Islamic State makes sure that uh, Haftar uh, doesn't actually make anything close to uh, unite the, the East and the South, because this is the, another problem with tribes, with tribes that are located in the South and East, uh, who under uh, the former leader of Libya, so Muammar Gaddafi, uh, were fighting with each other. This is how Gaddafi uh, was able to actually run this country for so long, because the, his main force were fighting each other. And uh, the Islamic State makes sure that these tribes uh, um, actually still uh, fight each other and uh, that uh, these tribes would not actually help uh, Haftar in uniting the country. So they are uh, running some kind of uh, pr um, protection force to uh, stop uh, Haftar uh, from uh, taxing uh, these tribes. They are trying to establish some kind of patrols on the main roads and prevent Haftar forces from using that to smuggle his his portion of oil and this is the kind of stuff they are doing and uh, from the military view uh, they are currently uh, harassing the main uh, strategic cities and towns that are in possession of Haftar forces, as we could see recently, new Benghazi and uh, new Tobruk, that they are able, able to conduct some kind of uh, S-Fobiet uh, um, attacks. So, uh, as we know from uh, Hugo Kaman uh, research, the most cap capable uh, machines that the Islamic State is currently running, right? So the explosive cars. This is the yes. main. This is the main ability to stop uh, these militias from uh, gaining some power uh, in the cities and controlling the oil fields, because uh, everyone who tries to actually govern some swaths of the desert uh, knows that the Islamic State is near and they are able to 
conduct some kind of a suicide mission to stop them. So uh, they are in a great fear in the center of the country. So ISIS in Libya, basically, right now, what they're doing is just disrupting everything. They're trying to stop other militias gaining control as opposed to trying to form their own kind of caliphate. Yes, they are running uh, an insurgency, insurgency to actually stop, as, as you are saying. So I remember, I think it was 2015, when I saw a video uh, and there was a militia in Libya called Ansar al-Sharia and they started to use the ISIS flag and a lot of people were like oh dear these guys are ISIS is that true or is or is uh like have they have they brought other tribes in and other groups or are they their own thing yes it was true actually it was true because uh Ansar al-Sharia as a whole was uh, the main uh, branch of al-Qaeda in Libya and of course, uh, as always, it happens. It happens in every country where there is Al Qaeda. That some part of Al Qaeda that is more hardline, more Salafi <laughs> than the ones uh, who are actively uh, supporting Al Qaeda, uh, they the more Salafi one want to actually join uh, the more hardline force that at the time was the Islamic State. And the Islamic State showed us that they were ca capable of running uh, the country, uh, of course, the so-called country, of the size of the Great Britain. So uh, these networks uh, were always uh, tearing apart. And it was the case with uh, Ansar al-Sharia al in Libya. Uh, a half of Ansar al-Sharia in Libya joined the Islamic State. Uh, from what I remember, even the deputy of the Ansar al-Sharia group uh, joined the Islamic State and actually uh, was uh, a valley in Ceuta, in the main stronghold in Libya right after. Uh, so Ansar al-Sharia when joined the Islamic State, actually uh, made the Islamic State much stronger because Ansar al-Sharia was already governing some parts of the city of Benghazi mm -hmm. and uh, some parts uh, of Ceuta. So they were already there and uh, it made uh, the Islamic State... Um, it was much easier for the Islamic State to actually go uh, go in in these uh, cities and to establish uh, a proper governance and administration in these cities. Of course, in Be in Benghazi, it didn't happen because uh, Haftar prevented it uh, very quickly. But uh, in Syria, as we know, uh, they conquered the whole city from the militias that were there, they absorbed the more, the more hardline Islamist militias in the city and spread uh, all over the Sirte surroundings. Uh, the, and then the, at the time in 2000, in, in 2015, in 2016, uh, the oil, uh, the oil, the oil fields we were talking about 
we're in a great danger because Ceuta is located uh, 30, 40 kilometers from the main office field. So it was a great danger for the oil production of the whole Libya and the supply uh, uh, for the European countries, countries that uh, that are still using Libyan uh, production to uh, actively govern in our countries, right? So mainly Italy was in a great danger for that. That's why Italy uh, has been supporting uh, the militias of the ta- of the city of Misrata because Misrata was the one to actually actively battling the Islamic State and at the end wiping out Ceuta from the Islamic State with the help of the international coalition, mainly Americans who had sent uh, special forces to Misrata and the British. How um, how predictable that the West would uh, go to the aid of the militias when their oil revenue was getting affected. Um, I think I think that's great on Libya. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of research, a lot of very good research into ISIS in Afghanistan. I want to talk about that. Uh, what is going on there? Okay, so I will skip some parts. The United States invade this country. Uh, the war has been ongoing since seventeen years. So, so since uh, two thousand one when uh, the Taliban lost control over most of the cities in Afghanistan. And the, the fight uh, had been ongoing for so many years that everyone uh, started losing uh, patience, especially in the United States, uh, but also among the Taliban, because, uh, you know, the, the war is extremely long and nobody is winning, so uh, everyone might feel frustrated with it. And in 2014, when the Islamic State was created, uh, firstly by uh, Abu Muhammad al-Adnani, then uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, naming himself as Caliph, uh, the Taliban felt the heat from Syria and Iraq. Uh, as we know, uh, Taliban uh, are uh, followers of the Delbandi school and the Islamic State is uh, a strict Salafi, Salafist uh, from Hanbali, Hanafi uh, and such. And uh, in 2014, uh, the more hardline uh, Taliban militants started to feel that the Taliban is not something that is truly Islamic, that uh, the Taliban is a nationalist force, that it only wants to establish uh, an Islamic society led by Quran in only in Afghanistan. So the Islamic State that was an international force that was trying to over, overwhelm the whole world and win uh, with everyone, 
was actually a huge task for the minds of the Salafist uh, uh, militants uh, for the Taliban, but uh, it was uh, it firstly was uh, Pakistanis that uh, joined forces with the Islamic State in 2014. Uh, let's say uh, Pakistani Taliban. Most of Pakistani Taliban pledge an allegiance. It, it is called Bayah, an oath of allegiance to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Uh, that was quickly acknowledged by uh, Muhammad al-Adnani uh, in 2015. And the province of Khurasan, this is uh, called uh, Khurasan uh, Vilayat. Uh, this is how it is called. Uh, the Islamic State in uh, Afghanistan, Khurasan Vilayat. This is how we call it. Call it, and it mainly consisted of uh, Salaf, uh, Salafi Pakistanis at the time from uh, the Taliban uh, located in Pakistan, not the the Afghan one. But it it quickly spread over the border because it was mainly located in in Fatah in the tribal areas that are located in the north of uh, Pakistan and administrated in, uh, um, let's say, under the Sharia law. Uh, and it quickly spread uh, over the border to uh, Afghanistan, to Nangarha, to Paktia, to uh, the provinces located at the border with Pakistan, but also uh, spread to the provinces in the south and in the north that the Tali uh, and the Taliban felt the great danger that was coming from a massive uh, oath, oaths of allegiances that uh, were calling all over from Afghanistan, let's say uh, near the border with Iran uh, some uh, Taliban-affiliated militia started calling themselves Islamic State, uh, and it was all over Afghanistan. Uh, so uh, Taliban uh, actually uh, implemented a new strategy to fight not only uh, not only Kabul government and U.S. forces, but also, as we quickly found out, their main foe. So the Islamic State, this is the main enemy now, not the Afghan government, not the, not the forces that are led by the United States, but the main enemy is Islamic State because it is the Islamic State that might uh, amass support for them and uh, let Taliban actually dissolve into uh, militias that would, would quickly uh, pledge an allegiance to the Islamic State. In 2015, they started attacking every force that was pledging an allegiance to the Islamic State and they quickly wiped them out from their main stronghold. Uh, in Helmand, uh, they wiped them from the Iran border, from Tajikistan border, uh, all, all the north, all the east uh, was won for the Taliban, except for the east, because in Nangarhan, 
I'm not gonna to quickly found out uh, the Islamic State uh, created their uh, first uh, active stronghold in Afghanistan in most of district of Nangarhar. What year was that? They actually were using uh, compounds that were built during the Soviet war uh, by the CIA. Uh, they were using caves, massive caves, uh, to actually uh, hide and to avoid uh, the forces uh, of the US and the Taliban. So ISIS in Nangarhar province basically started using old Soviet compounds and places that the CIA set up in previous wars to base themselves. That's kind of hilarious in a way. <laughs> yes, of course. And uh, it is written uh, all over the mainstream press that uh, the uh, war on the Soviets in Afghan uh, actually turns out that uh, now it is uh, very disruptive uh, for the current war uh, because of these compounds uh, and caves that were built uh, during the Afghan war, and the Islamic State entrenched entrenched themselves uh, themselves uh, so much that uh, no force would be able to actually wipe them from this location uh, because it was in no way uh, a possibility for land forces to attack such entrenched positions. Because of the terrain? Yes, caves, mountains like Torabora, new the Torabora, uh, where uh, Osama bin Laden uh, was hiding during the invasion. Uh, and all the high locations in Nangoha. Uh, and uh, in provinces located near, in Kunar, uh, which is uh, also a stronghold of the Islamic State. But in Nangaha, it was mainly visible, and the US uh, finally annulled the threat uh, that was coming not f from Syria and Iraq, but also from Afghanistan. They, uh, the same people, they, uh, they were fighting in Iraq and Syria, are in Afghanistan. So, 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 sorry. Let me just let me just break that down. So, so now recently as well, right? America is starting to get attacked by ISIS inside Afghanistan. Yes. What do they do? What What are their actions been against the Americans? Well, the, the Islamic State established uh, terror cells in the main cities, uh, like uh, Kabul or in Nangarhar's capital, Jalalabad, and uh, they uh, started to uh, bomb very actively uh, every military site, site uh, every religious site that was not Islamic uh, in their way, of course. So it was uh, Sufis, it was the Sufis, it was uh, Hindu followers, followers of Shia Islam, right? Uh, so uh, that threat was very, uh, uh, was very wide and spread, not only uh, the Taliban, but the, the Afghan military, the US forces located in Jalalabad, 
uh, all the things were happening in 2015, 2016. So Americans uh, announced this threat and decided that uh, it is finally needed to actually delay the Islamic State from Nangarhar because it was too much of a threat uh, for Afghanistan and Pakistan to le let it go al alone. So the US uh, started with sending uh, US special forces to Nangarhar to to battle the Islamic State, Khorasan province. So, so the US, the US right now is sending special forces in, into Nangarhar province to fight ISIS in Afghanistan, whilst the war is still going on between the Taliban, whilst the war is still going on against ISIS in Syria, just about. Yes, the Taliban is still fighting uh, the US forces, but uh, the special forces of the US are fighting what they think is the main threat to Afghanistan, the Islamic State. What a mess, eh? What an absolute mess. Yes, this is uh, such a mess. Well, it's the Western, it's the Western, like, I think, idiocy, idiocy and complacency within these wars to think they can just go in and then leave or invade or whatever. And now look what happens. They end up fighting on about 10 different fronts. Yes, 10 different fronts. And, uh, but you know... I think that they took the best uh, decision they actually could because we can talk to the Taliban. We can negotiate with the Taliban. We can yes. talk and we can negotiate with the Islamic State. They are too much of a threat uh, for every country they are in, as we can see in Syria, Iraq, Nigeria, Philippines. They are not the force to negotiate with. They are the force to kill and to wipe them from the map. So the US took the best decision they could because as, as we found out uh, in 2017, uh, Americans uh, pulled out the main bomb that is not nuclear, the, the famous uh, Moab. Oh, the mother of all bombs, yeah. Yes, and they hit it in Nangoha in the district of Achin. Uh, Ashin, uh, and from uh, what we could say uh, at the time, uh, there was no uh, that threat, uh, so Americans could uh, actually place the bomb there. But uh, as the investigations from, uh, let's say, the New York Times or was the journal from the mainstream press or even the Afghan press. Uh, it was found out in these investigations that the threat was really that high uh, to actually, uh, and it was actually a good option to place that bomb in Ashen district because it was no way for the US special forces to actually gain any land and move uh, any kilometer because uh, the Islamic State was too much, uh, too entrenched. Uh, there, there were uh, millions of minefields. Uh, there were caves. There were these compounds we were talking about. So mm. the U.S. special forces would uh, would would be just killing themselves by going in. I think with the Moab, it was that as well. Obviously, they couldn't. The special forces couldn't get to the 
the ISIS fighters there to, to, to attack them because of the terrain. But also, I think for the Americans, it kind of sent a message, you know. Uh, you know, it was kind of a significant thing, this whole mother of all bombs as well, when actually it wasn't quite as big as was explained uh, or, or perhaps was as presented. But I think it definitely sent a message. Yes, but at the same time, for the Islamic State, it is easy to say that, oh, as you can see, the US annulled the threat that we pose, and the Taliban is a weak force if the mob is not actually uh, used against the Taliban, but it is against the Islamic State that is only located in let's say, three provinces, actively. Well, let, let's talk about that, because ISIS are now fighting the Taliban quite heavily, right? I know on your Twitter feed the other day, I saw you putting up some images that ISIS in Afghanistan had released, where they're, you know, they're fighting quite close combat with the Taliban in the mountains, with mortars. Uh, I think there's even, like, some small arms. What's going on? Well, uh, the, the fights between the Islamic State and Taliban are located in five provinces right now. In Nangarhar, uh, the same as uh, against the US, in Lagman, in Kuna, so the provinces that are located near the Pakistan border, also uh, the northern ones, near the border with Uzbekistan and uh, Turkmenistan, uh, Jozian, Saripur, and Farjab. And this, uh, these provinces from the north, Jozian and Saripur, are the ones we have to talk about the most because the most significant battle ever fought between the Taliban and the Islamic State is located in the north, uh, in the Josiani districts of Darjab and Kushtepa. In these two districts, uh, there is a huge battle ongoing uh, in which uh, 200 people died in just one week. Uh, it was all militant, so uh, we can just imagine uh, how much of uh, of a force has the Taliban to fight the Islamic State there. Uh, and uh, it was... Um, okay, so let's explain uh, why actually there is a battle. In uh, 2000, in 2017, one year ago, I think it was uh, April and May, there was a joint offensive. It, it might sound su surprising, but uh, there were there were lots of uh, such close calls between the Taliban and Islamic State to fight uh, Afghan government. Wait, wait, wait. So, so sometimes, even though the Taliban is fighting ISIS in all these other provinces, sometimes they join forces to fight the Afghan government forces. Yes, they allied themselves in order to fight uh, Afghan government. It was April and May that the joint offensive uh, Taliban Islamic State joint offensive against uh, Afghan forces uh, was dated and they won. They wiped out uh, Afghan government from Darjab and most of Kushtepa. But uh, this, the Islamic State, uh, as always, didn't want to share any kind of power with any force 
like uh, Al-Qaeda or the Taliban, so they stab them in the back, as they are always doing in every country. Yes, they killed like uh, 50 members of the Taliban and wiped them from Darjab. And uh, when we talk about Darjab, we have to imagine this district as a very, as a very mountainous one. Uh, the heights are very high right there. Uh, all the caves are lo located there. Uh, not as with Nangarha one that were, uh, that, uh, were built by the CIA during the Soviet war. But, uh, these caves are actually natural ones. And, uh, inhabitants of Josian, uh, built their homes, they, their homes in these caves. Uh, this is a very interesting, uh, matter. So, uh, uh, they stab them in the back, they wipe them uh, from Darjab, and they had been actively uh, defending themselves before the Taliban, because the Taliban tried five times to destroy the Islamic State in the north uh, during uh, the past year, uh, but uh, they lost every time because uh, their, com uh, their commanders uh, were not supporting the themselves, but instead were behaving as warlords. The Taliban has been around for a very long time. Nobody can argue that they're not a very good fighting force, whether you like them or not, obviously. ISIS, in this context in Afghanistan, is relatively new. Why is it the Taliban is losing to ISIS? Uh, the Taliban is losing to ISIS because uh, this... <laughs> The Islamic State can uh, actually uh, influence new recruits. They are a new force. They showed in Syria and Iraq uh, that they are uh, that they were a huge force and they are capable of governing a huge swaths of territory. And I think the ideology to all the Uzbeks to Pashtuns and Tajiks uh, are way more uh, way more positive uh, when it comes to the Islamic State than the Taliban uh, because the Taliban uh, is more of a native force that uh, actually allows some uh, tribal and native rituals like uh, let's say uh, believing in uh, the power of amulets, uh, believing in ghosts and souls and every uh, folk uh, believings, beliefs uh, that can be lo uh, located in uh, every part of Af Afghanistan and the Islamic State does not allow that. Uh, more more uh, addictive for uh, every Salafi than the Taliban, that is also a nationalist force. So it kind of comes down to reputation, basically. ISIS, we've seen them all over the news, they've been all over the media, they're running riot around Iraq, Syria, Libya, and when they come to Afghanistan, Salafis are like, these guys hold no prisoners. Unlike the Taliban, who, as bad as they are, actually do allow some autonomy within different sects of Islam in Afghanistan. 
Yes, but uh, there was also uh, another task when it comes to uh, the Islamic State being much more, much better uh, than Taliban. It was about the money. It always uh, comes. It always comes to money. Uh, the Islamic State always pays uh, its fighters very, very uh, hu- huge cash. Uh, uh, of course, when it comes to Afghanistan, right? Because uh, $500 is not that uh, huge in the West, but uh, in the local ground, it is actually uh, like you would be a millionaire, right? So, so the Islamic State just pays the cash and gathers thousands of recruits because uh, they can actually pay its fighters and families and actually build a society that is not poor, a poor one, but a prosperous one because of all the money. How big is ISIS in Afghanistan? How many members roughly would you say? And also, have they been sending fighters from Iraq and Syria or is this mostly a native franchise? Uh, when it comes to uh, Vilayat Khurasan, it is mainly about native fight, uh, fighters. Nat- right. Native, so Pakistani ones, Afghan ones, Tajiks, uh, Uzbeks, and so on. These are the natives, right? These are not, um, let's say, some might be regional, uh, regional fighters, but not, not in the Western meaning, uh, not uh, foreign fighters that come from France from Spain and all over the West. That is, these are natives mainly. But uh, when it comes to some transfers from the Middle East, so from Syria and Iraq, uh, there were at least 70 cases uh, that we could trace uh, from Iraq and Syria that uh, these fighters uh, actually arrived to Afghanistan to establish a connection between uh, Afghan Vilayat, uh, Vilayat Khurasan and uh, Vilayat located in Iraq and Syria. So 70 fighters is not a huge, huge population of fighters. It was a very small population just to establish connection between Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria. Uh, more important uh, cases were with uh, the envoys that were tasked with uh, sending uh, the Afghan branch money because it was uh, not always about a local economy for the Islamic State in Afghanistan. They actually uh, have been supported by uh, the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. Uh, we can't say how much money actually went from Syria to Afghanistan, but we can uh, safely say that it was a, a few millions at least, b- because the Battle of Marawi was fought by Syrian cash, and it was two million, two million dollars. So for Afghanistan, it might be a lot, lot, lots of, lots more uh, cash that comes from the Middle East. 
So mainly it's not exactly fighters that ISIS is sending to these international branches, but money. Let's move on to the next part of the uh, ISIS international, if you will. Um, what's going on in Africa? Because I know Boko Haram, uh, I think last year, kind of rebranded themselves from Boko Haram to ISIS in West Africa. Well, when it comes to West Africa, it is a very uh, interesting case because this is one of the two cases when the Islamic State Syria directly intervened to change their the leadership uh, of the branch. So uh, in 2014-2015, uh, the Islamic State in West Africa was led by uh, the infamous Shakao, right? Kao, Kao, Kao. Uh, the fa famous uh, jihadi. Uh, made famous for his uh, crazy speeches. This is the guy from the Boko Haram videos who's like growling in his videos and he makes no sense and he's firing off into the air. Madness. But, but, uh, as we could see in uh, 2015, he possesses some kind of uh, a little part of his brain because he pledged an allegiance to the Islamic State in 2000. 15. Oh, it's 2015. Okay, it was it was longer ago than I realized. Yes, and it was quickly acknowledged by uh, Mohammed Al-Adnani and uh, the Islamic State in West Africa was created. So when, when Boko Haram in 2015 said, yes, we are now part of ISIS, ISIS basically confirmed that, right? And, and Boko, Haram, Boko Haram was renamed to Islamic State West Africa. Shekau was in the lead for like nine months or ten months because the Islamic State almost immediately after establishing the West Africa branch actually appointed a new governor, a new valley for its West Africa branch, actually dismissing Shekau uh, and appointing uh, uh, the son of uh, the first leader of Boko Haram, so uh, uh, Mr. Bernawi. Uh, but uh, Shekau did not uh, acknowledge this fact. Uh, he sent uh, very aggressive letters to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi that uh, the folks that are running his administration are, are actually lying about the current stance of his West African Vilaya that Shashakao uh, is the most capable leader, he's, he's smart, he's a legendary folk, and uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi must uh, surely be mistaken in appointing a new governor. <laughs> so basically, he converts his Boko Haram kind of hellhole jihadist group to ISIS, and then Baghdadi instates a new leader from Iraq, you know, whilst he's in Iraq. And then this guy is writing to him. Yes, they kicked him from his job right after uh, pledging an allegiance. That's so funny, man. So then what happened? As we can see, it was the best decision that the Islamic State could actually opted for because Banawi uh, is a very capable leader, very intelligent. 
and he has been leading uh, West Africa Vilayat for two years now, and it seems that he is on the way to uh, become a very big threat for Nigeria. Because uh, as, as we could see in 2014, uh, Boko Haram at the time uh, was governing uh, a lot of territory in Nigeria, uh, but were, were quickly wiped out from this territory by Nigerian and US forces uh, in 2015, uh, at the time of uh, Shekau being leader. But when Barnabi, Barnawi was appointed the leader of West Africa, he regrouped uh, and actually prevented the total collapse of the former Boko Haram and uh, is currently leading them in a very Middle East fashion. I have never seen uh, such an adjustment to how the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq has been fighting, so by asphobias, by uh, explosive cars, by the tactics from the Middle East, so hit and runs, and it it all comes from the Middle East, and Banawi seems to uh, use uh, everything that the Islamic State invented. Where is Banawi from? Uh, Banawi is from Nigeria. Right, so then he has this direct line probably to ISIS, uh, in the Middle East. Yes, it, it seems so. And it seems uh, that it is a very dangerous uh, development right now. Uh, because uh, you, uh, you might have seen uh, my tweets about it and Hugo uh, about uh, the recent, the most recent uh, video coming from West Africa and from uh, Banawi uh, leading. Uh, it was uh, uh, a battle against Nigerian forces and uh, uh, the Islamic State was using uh, the Middle East tactics and explosive cars and everything from the Middle East and it was very scary actually because Nigerians uh, ha had no idea what to do with ma musket cars with uh, equipped uh, in camouflage, uh, so prevented uh, before being seen and actually uh, armored, uh, so it was not an easy task to shoot them down before. Right, they, were, they went from using kind of, you know, your standard put a bomb in here or run into this place and shoot everybody to having up-armored, disguised SVBIEDs, which, like you say, the Nigerian army just, just weren't capable of battling um, because it was such a new development. Also, I think it's worth mentioning now that despite the fact in the media you never really hear about this for more than two seconds, you never hear about what they're up to, Boko Haram slash ISIS in West Africa have actually killed more people than ISIS in the Middle East. Yes, uh, and uh, we have to add that there are two branches right now. Uh, the Islamic State West Africa, run by Banawi, and the other forts, run by Shekau. Oh, so, so Shekau, the madman, came back and he, he didn't like being ousted. He's formed his own thing, right? Yes, uh, uh, he uh, started using uh, his... Uh, 
his former name, but uh, he still uses the Islamic State flag as if he was a member of the Islamic State, but he's not. And uh, from we can say right now, he has four times less uh, power than Barnawi currently possesses. So it is the Islamic State West Africa that is uh, right now uh, much more powerful than uh, the fighters that are fighting with Shekau. So this is a very great danger. But still, Shekau uses his uh, uh, typical tactics like suicide, uh, suicide uh, explosive equipped on women uh, who are tasked with uh, bombing uh, some mar- markets, some uh, mosques. This is why he was dis- dismissed in the first place, because the Islamic State uh, does not want to... Uh, make uh, to actually get in anger uh, the locals, right? And Shekau is doing everything he can to destroy everyone. So this is not uh, an Islamic State's way to do things, even though they are uh, very aggressive towards everyone, but not as aggressive as Shekau. Yeah, also Shikawa was just a madman, I think. You know, as horrible as ISIS are, they're very intelligent in the way they do their attacks. Whereas Shikawa is a... He's a loose... He's a hair trigger. He's he's crazy and let it stay like that. Let it stay like that. Hopefully he will get killed. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I could talk about this to you for hours. I'll have to get you back on the show. But I just want to finish up talking about... Uh, ISIS in the Philippines and all around there? So the Philippines, uh, East Asia uh, region, uh, before uh, before uh, the Islamic State did not uh, build any kind of uh, province right there, it was only East Asia, it was not Vilayat, right? Uh, so uh, it was like uh, uh, only the fighters uh, of the Khilafah that are fighting in the Philippines. Uh, we can mainly establish two networks that uh, before 2017 uh, pledged an to the Islamic State. And these two were Malta Group uh, that is mainly located in Maguindanao, uh, near Lanao del Sur, and Marawit City and in the north. Uh, so in the south of the uh, Philippines and one of the biggest islands, uh, the Malta Group was created uh, actually in 2013, uh, mainly by two brothers, Omar and uh, Abdullah uh, Malta, uh, who were influenced by uh, Sholas in Saudi Arabia, uh, who taught them uh, Salafi, thinking, and when the Islamic State was created, they quickly pledged an allegiance to the Islamic State. And the other one uh, being Abu Sayyaf, uh, the most famous uh, terror, criminal, mafia, cartel uh, group uh, that has been running uh, its mafia enterprises for 20 years uh, in the south of the Philippines and in Malaysia. Uh, We can uh, mainly uh, 
talk about them as uh, pirates, right? You you surely uh, remember uh, from media that uh, every year some kind of uh, kidnapping, uh, uh, some Western hostages yeah. uh, were kidnapped and are currently in the possession of uh, Abu Sayyaf. But when the Islamic State was created, uh, most of uh, Abu Sayyaf group Pledge and allegiance. Not, uh, not all of Abu Sayyaf, uh, because Abu Sayyaf is a network of groups, but most, majority of uh, Abu Sayyaf groups pledge and allegiance to the Islamic State. And for two years, uh, the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, uh, actually did not acknowledge this fact that uh, these guys pledge an allegiance to them. Uh, but finally, in 2016, uh, uh, the Islamic State released a video officially uh, accepting uh, Bayah from uh, the networks that are located in the Philippines and uh, named uh, its uh, emir of all the forces in East Asia, so the Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, and I think even Thailand and Singapore, uh, that uh, ha have to be led by uh, Isnilon Hapilon, the infamous Abu Sayyaf uh, pirate that pledged an allegiance to the Islamic State. And in 2016, uh, it, it, it was found out uh, in 2017 after uh, the Battle of Marawi. Uh, the Islamic State sent envoys to uh, Isnil al Hapilon that uh, was at the time uh, running his uh, command uh, uh, at the island of Basilan. Uh, they sent him envoys to actually prepare a plan to establish uh, a new East Asia Vilayat and to conquer the south of the Philippines uh, where most Filipino Muslims uh, are living. And these envoys uh, were tasked with... Uh, with um, they were equipped uh, with huge... Uh, with lots of money, right? Uh, again, it comes to the money. And Isnilan, as, as we found out, uh, Isnilan was sent at least $2 million from the Middle, Middle East. They were sent around $2 million, right? I think you told me before, just in our various kind of late night chats about this stuff, I think you said that they actually sent them the money physically. Physically from the Middle East, from Saudi Arabia, from Iraq, uh, from Bangladesh, uh, these envoys were tasked with sending them money and to deliver it uh, in person. There were at least four envoys that uh, are uh, named by uh, the US government and uh, are the main reasons why the Philippines were in such a total disaster last year, right? So. Uh, these envoys were very, very important for the Islamic State located in the Philippines. 
How the hell? So I, they just smuggled the, the money, I guess. Yes. Well, this invoice, of, of course, uh, were coming back and forth, right? It was not uh, one-way drop. Uh, so one guy uh, just goes there and never comes back. No, uh, uh, this invoice were actually coming back uh, a lot of times, not interrupted by neither... Uh, Filipino uh, police, nor Malaysian. So they had a very easy job to deliver the cash uh, to the Islamic State in the Philippines. Uh, every envoy had at least $50,000 in the back with him. So they had to at least uh, to do at least uh, 30 uh, travels from the Middle East to the Philippines. So, as we can see, it was, uh, it is a total disaster uh, for the authorities uh, of the Southeast, Southeast Asia countries like Malaysia and the Philippines because they allowed to deliver so much cash from the Middle East. Yeah, so ISIS, uh, ISIS in East Asia is very well funded now, hey? Yes, uh, it, it was the money uh, they gathered from taxes uh, in Syria and Iraq from the Mosul Bank uh, when they gathered hundreds of millions of dollars when they conquered Mosul. And this money, this money was not only uh, located in Syria and Iraq and to equip their fighters fighting in these countries, but to equip their fighters all over the world. So every vilayat, every province uh, was delivered a cash from the Middle East. Uh, we can say that uh, it is very similar to what uh, Al-Qaeda has been doing but they have never been able to deliver so much cash uh, at once to uh, every province uh, they have in the world. So the Islamic State is kind of an inventor here uh, because nobody uh, running uh, a mafia network uh, has ever been actually allowed to do uh, so, so much bad money deliverance. Yep. Pavel, I think we got it. I think that's excellent. I think we're really there. I think that was really good, man. That's very, very interesting. Where can people keep in touch with you? Where can they follow your research? Uh, they can follow it mainly on Twitter uh, for the time being, but uh, I will start writing uh, articles for foreign policy and other media. Pavel, thank you very much. That was excellent. Uh, you think? It was Pavel Vucic talking about ISIS and the spread of the caliphate from Iraq and Syria to the rest of the world, specifically Afghanistan, Nigeria and East Asia. I strongly advise you to follow Pavel on Twitter to keep up to date with his research. It's incredible. Uh, that is at Saladin Aldroni. So S-A-L-A-D-I-N-A-L-D-R-O-N-N-I. 
for bonus content including bonus episodes narrated articles all sorts of stuff go to patreon.com slash popular front for the price of literally one cheap coffee a month you get bonus episodes very frequently throughout the week throughout the months also you get to support popular front and help it grow up into something else which i'm hoping it does thank you very much to the 30 dollars patreons they are stephen henderson ryan sandercock cole gannon joel tambusi lh kajetil zachary hinch aliame Leroy, andrew stover daniel shearer joanne stocker margaret bowling and teddy uh, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll see those $30 Patreons are definitely going up. It's very much appreciated, and I'm glad you lot like what I'm doing here. This episode was sponsored by DefensePost.com, Defense with an S. You can find some of Pavel's work there, actually. He just wrote a really good piece about the rise of ISIS in Afghanistan. Definitely worth checking out, DefensePost.com. Uh, for all things Popular Front, visit popularfront.co or to keep up to date on Twitter, just follow me. That's Jake underscore Hanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Also, we've got a YouTube now. We've got a YouTube channel because I'm going to be making what will basically be the first Popular Front news dispatch slash documentary soon. So subscribe there to get hold of it. That is youtube.com slash popularfront. Oh, and a few people recently have asked me, how can they make a one-time donation to Popular Front, which kind of blew my head off, to be honest. I thought, wow, like, imagine someone wants to donate to Popular Front on a one-time basis just to help it, which I was really appreciative of. Um, but a few people have asked me that now. So if you want to do that, it's paypal.me slash Jake Hanrahan. All the money that is made through Popular Front goes back into Popular Front, into the podcast. I don't live off of this. I am a journalist and I can just about make money doing that. So yeah, everything goes back into Popular Front. So if you do want to help it, you will be helping it. Music in this episode, the intro is by an artist called Home, as usual. And the outro is by Son of Old. You can find his music at soundcloud.com slash son dash of dash old. And I wanted to say as well, if you're listening to this and you make Vaporwave or Synthwave, that kind of music, the kind of music we feature in the outros on Popular Front, please do get in touch with me. And if you'd like it to be featured on an episode, I will do that. Uh, email popularfrontpodcast at gmail.com about that because I do need more music because now we're doing weekly episodes. <laughs>